Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Thursday of every month at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded on March 21st, 2013 at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. The theme for the evening was authority. All right, your next storyteller. Uh, this is her first time doing the show, and we are very excited to have her. She is the Community Programs Manager at Colorado Youth Matter, which is a advocacy organization for oh, sex ed, sex, sexual, sexual education, yes, for youth. So please, and she's also an amazing singer. I wish she could do some of that tonight. Anyways, please welcome Andy Lyons. written feedback I ever received from school was on my kindergarten report card. Amongst the many E's, which stood for excellence, was written, struggles with authority, comma, bossy. (laughs) It's important to remember that from the tender age of five, it was clear that I was a bossy smartass who did not like being told what to do. And while these qualities have earned me friends, made me a fairly interesting conversational partner, and probably have something to do with my current professional success, they've also led to a reputation for being intimidating, a few professional bridges left smoldering, and one unintentional stay in the Denver County Jail. Which makes me sound like a total badass. And I'm not. Because for all of my dislike of authority and my ability to tell people what to do, the simple truth is I have also always been incredibly invested in my grade point average and my generalized middle class success, and most importantly, being perceived as smart. Essentially, I was just a really loud and obnoxious thorn in the side of my unwitting teachers and the other pseudo-authority figures that show up in everyday life. You guys, I was that self-righteous asshole kid. By the time I hit 24 and had learned how to appropriately modify my personality, I'd mostly grown out of this kind of behavior. During college, I learned to funnel my distaste for authority into political campaigns and sociological theory, which is where generations of smart-mouthed pansies have flourished. (laughs) Occasionally, I used my exceptional command of vocabulary under pressure to verbally crush a jerky dude for being a misogynist, but mostly I stuck to erudite essays in my zines and creative poster making for direct action. I give you all of this for context. Because on the particular night in June that I'm going to tell you about, about six years ago, I was not thinking about my distaste for authority. I was thinking about the Snake Pits Ladies' Night. Is any, <laughs> anyone who went there? Okay. Um, free drinks until midnight and the same awesome 80s playlist that I'd been dancing to every Tuesday night for approximately two and a half years. I was thinking about where to stash the pager I was carrying also, the pager for the Colorado Anti-Violence Program's crisis line, which I was a victim advocate for, so I could feel and respond to pages if the time came. And I might have been thinking about meeting a girl or two and maybe taking one of them home. I was there with only two of my friends instead of the small codependent horde I usually moved with. 
We were a hot mess of young queers teeming with our own sexy politics and incestuous affairs. We had recently started branching out after discovering that even the most salacious drama gets old when it's too often recycled. I can't tell you exactly what happened to kick that evening's events off, but I entered the scene when one of the new recruits approached my friend and I to inform us that she had called the cops about a physical fight that occurred between her and another friend of mine. That was all I needed to know. In the small, highly politicized world I lived in, calling the cops was the ultimate sin, for any reason. The new recruit was in the shithouse, and it was imperative that I get outside to ensure that the boys in blue didn't mess with any of my friends. By the time I showed up outside, the street was filled with police cars, and two officers had yet another friend backed up against a brick wall interrogating her. The friend who'd been in the fight was already in the back of a cruiser, and the cop caller was hollering for all of 13th Avenue to hear about her victimhood in the situation. The two friends who I'd showed up with were milling around trying to figure out what was going on. Not me. I stationed myself squarely next to the officer doing the interrogating. He was not amused by my presence and told me to leave. I have a legal right to observe you. Thank you. <laughs> the moral high ground felt so good. <laughs> the officer didn't frankly care if I had a legal right to observe him. I clearly distracted him from his interrogation, and he was really pissed off. He told me to leave again, and I repeated my oft practiced but never before this time implemented line, I have a legal right to observe you. He told me to leave again and for good measure added, if you don't leave now, I will arrest you. I just want you to know that it doesn't matter if you have a legal right to do whatever you're doing. When a cop tells you they will arrest you, they will. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was unable to see this through my social justice induced self-righteous haze. The threat was direct enough that I considered leaving and even started to turn on my heel to do so. Ultimately, though, I didn't leave. And he made good on his promise. What felt like approximately five milliseconds after his threat, I had a pair of real-life handcuffs on my wrists, and I was pinned against one of the six cruisers lining the street. At this moment, all of the bossy badass leaked right out of me. And I was just another white girl sobbing in handcuffs in the middle of the night. <laughs> Hoping beyond hope that this last gasp of female socialization would get me out of this mess. <laughs> to be fair, I was sober, so I was in a total cliche. I'm embarrassed to tell you that I apologized. I don't really remember what I apologized for or if I was even that specific about it, but I do know that I said I was sorry a lot. This is not an effective strategy once you're already in handcuffs. In the back of the cruiser, I convinced myself that I'd be let go. I couldn't really imagine going to jail for just being a pain in the ass. The fact that I'm white and was raised in a middle-class house probably has something to do with this suspension of disbelief. Somehow, I was still convinced I could talk myself out of this in the same way that I'd talked myself into it. I pleaded based on logic, 
was it really worth all the expense of arresting and processing me? That's really costly to the city of Denver. Um, weren't there real public safety concerns to be worried about? And when that didn't work, I played on the sympathy card. I was a victim's advocate and the sole crisis hotline advocate on call for the anti-violence program, and the pager was locked inside his trunk. He didn't respond, except to put the car in gear and make a sharp left onto 13th Avenue towards the police station. So I went to jail. By the time we pulled into the special underground cop entrance, this is the most exciting part of this whole story, is that I got to see the special underground cop entrance, um, which is underneath 13th Avenue. Um, I had totally regained my badass bearings. I got searched against a wall right next to my friend, the first friend who'd been arrested, who took this particularly unique opportunity to hit on me. Uh, <laughs> Something about how sexy I looked when I was up against a wall being frisked. It wasn't exactly what I'd been hoping for when I said I wanted to take somebody home, but under the circumstances, it was the next best thing. I got booked into custody, I had my mug shot taken, and I was assigned a 7 by 7 cell with a metal toilet and approximately 3 and 1 quarter of the gospel texts from the Bible. Since I was also currently pursuing my master's degree in divinity, um, I couldn't really complain about the reading material. At 4 a.m., I huddled with the rest of the ladies in the Denver County Jail and drank coffee and ate toast. Three hours later, the sheriff yelled out my last name, which made me feel really badass again, pushed the buzzer to open the door and let me go. Three months later, at the second court date, the charges, which were disobeying a lawful order, were dropped completely. The judge who closed my case um, ended the appearance by saying, it is clear, Miss Lyons, that the city of Denver can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you were a pain in that officer's ass. <laughs> However, since that is not illegal, all charges have been dropped and you are free to go. All right, our next storyteller, also a first-time storyteller, and we are very excited to have her here tonight. She is a writer, and you can find her archives, and most of the stuff that she's doing right now is at Reverb, heyreverb.com. Uh, she's also a arts advocate and a nail polish enthusiast. Please welcome Rue Johnson. I thought Andrew's uh, story was really interesting because he said when he first thought about authority, he, his thoughts immediately went to his parents. And um, for me, when I thought about authority, my first thought went to my vagina. So, <laughs> um, this is a story that I like to call, What Comes First, The Penis or the Egg? It's a tale about like getting the upper hand, and it's a true story. So, here we go. The club was dark and the bass was loud. I was wearing entirely too high heels for the amount of whiskey I had taken in since the clock struck midnight. He was moving through the crowd, making his way over to me like a moth to a flame burned by the fire. <laughs> I'm trying to be serious. <laughs> As he drew closer and closer to me, I realized that he was the one, the one I'd had my eye on for the longest time. He approached, 
reintroduced himself to me, and before I could say my own name, his lips stole the taste right out of my mouth. It was one of those attractions, you know? We were like having a lot of sex. I mean, just a lot of sex. And often, I mean, exploding, convulsing, emotionally intelligent orgasms. We really, really liked each other. A lot. Not enough to really hang out in the daytime, though. Um, <laughs> true. <laughs> this is true story. Our private parts actually rather enjoy the light of the moon, but enough to meet hastily made plans of incredible sex and passionate promises we made while in the height of climax. I had never met anyone like him. He was tall, dark, handsome, motivated, driven, and he could fuck like a god and had a championship Clydesdale-sized penis. Awesome. I really liked him. He was awesome. Once, after a particularly long and drawn-out sex session, wherein I felt the water I drank during a mini-break didn't nearly rival the amount of moisture I was expelling, I decided to broach the subject. Hey, do you want to spend the night and maybe do breakfast in the morning? Maybe it was the heat of the moment. Maybe it was because my bare breast was mere inches from his perfect mouth. But he replied, definitely. You want to go another round? Boom, so we did it, it was great. We got our hot and heavy session in once more, me forgetting one of the more critical decisions I have to make in my waking life, what to have for breakfast when out in public or with groups of people. I would pay for this later, in a way bigger even than his prize horse-sized penis. The morning of brunch was cool, we woke up, smoked a little herb, I took a bit longer than normal to find my sunglasses, but for the most part, everything was on the up and up. I felt really good about it. That was until we arrived at our brunch location. Pouring over the menu, I was really having a struggle. Finally, I decided on the short stack and blueberries. We'll keep it really simple. He chose the steak and eggs. Seeing him in the daylight, I surmised, was pretty lovely. His teeth shone whiter, his hands appeared larger and more worked, his voice was an octave deeper. I wasn't so bad, I kinda liked it. So I started to relax. And then our food arrived. My one revulsion in the entire world was about to be set before me, and I had not warned Mr. Midnight, now Mr. Morning Sex, about it in enough time. I hate eggs. I fucking despise eggs. Like, I don't just hate eggs. I despise eggs. I've never had an egg. I will never have an egg. I do not desire to figure out why I'm so physically repulsed by eggs. It has nothing to do with chickens or abortions or periods or any of that. Any of that. I don't know why. I am repulsed by eggs. I gag when I think about it. My mother actually said that when I was a child, she caught me raking a plate of eggs behind the couch so I wouldn't have to eat them. That's how she found out I didn't like eggs. I half wretch even in the presence of eggs. No lie, it's a true story. I've developed these little brain tricks that I do to help me figure it out so that I don't have to live my life as a brunch or breakfast agoraphobic. You know, like it's, it's a very real problem. Seeing as how I had never seen this guy at all any, any other time during the night, the only thing we ever considered devouring was each other. Now, here I was, about to be faced with my favorite bedfellow and my one true nemesis. The server set our food down in front of us, and my brain began working overtime on my tricks. I decided not to mention it, because then people want to ask questions, and then I'll be there controlling a gag reflex not even his Clydesdale-described sword could rival just hours before. So I removed the syrup platter and I put it between us to kind of hide his side of the plate where the eggs were. I maintained direct eye contact. I tried to remember how awesome he was in bed. 
all while ignoring this disgusting egg juice that was dripping down his chin. <sighs> it's gross. I really have to like take a minute. It's really gross. Uh, <laughs> so focusing on my pancakes, I made it through brunch. He dropped me off. I went on about my day. I, I patted myself on the back. I felt really great about it. And the next time I saw him, it was late after a show. As per usual, we gathered our things and headed back to his place for some writhing and wrangling. And my body responded in all the right ways at first. We were kissing and tugging on each other's clothes and whispering our nasty wants and our desires against each other's touching skin. It was really passionate. And then he brought out the Clydesdale <laughs> and something happened. Instead of launching into that thing like a succulent candy cane and making saliva angels with my mouth, <laughs> I'm gonna let y'all have that one. I, I completely froze, completely froze. So he picked up on it, and immediately he asked me, you know, like, what's wrong? And I couldn't answer him because surely he was going to think I was a lunatic. <laughs> Hell, at this point, I was sure that I was a lunatic. So here I am, naked in bed with this Adonis of a man, and I was about to tell him I could not enjoy the divine sexual feeling of his penis because of how he ate his eggs. Gazing down at him, I wasn't seeing his face. I was seeing, like, the disgusting egg juice on his chin from the breakfast before. So I was just like, I'm not going out like that. So I just replied to him, nothing, you know, I, we decided to try again. So we get back into the moment, and I thought it was just a moment that had passed. Sure enough, once it came time for that moment of gasping penetration, I became like the Sahara. So I decided I have to tell him. I have to. It was just we're not going to make it if I don't tell him. After he poked and prodded, and eventually he kind of began to blame himself, I finally spit it out. It's not you. It's me. What, it, it's actually not really either of us. It's the eggs. <laughs> and his face changed with relief that, A, I wasn't just shooting him down all of a sudden, but B, that I was definitely fucking crazy. <laughs> so, so I explained the situation to him as best I could, and he continued to offer all kinds of psychosomatic reasons why I've developed this egg revulsion, while I mostly just wish he would stop talking and I could talk myself into putting his penis into my mouth, and maybe that would shut him up about it, because I was gagging, you know? Finally, he asked me, what can you do to get power over it, and what can you do to move on? I didn't have an answer for him. And besides, at that point, my pussy had already zipped up her purse and was heading for the door. I know in moments like this who to answer to in that authority. I kissed him on the cheek and began to gather my things to leave. Incredulous, he asked, eggs, huh? That's fucking weird. <laughs> Glancing over my shoulder at his still naked body whilst pulling on my shoes, I replied, yeah, I know. Maybe I should date a vegan. The end. <laughs> The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by the Denver Diatribe. Check out their weekly show at denverdiatribe.com. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl. 
or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.